makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power and power. Good day, greetings, and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart, and the whole world is, is a good day for all of us to be here, indeed. And uh, this is First Voices Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. I'm Teokas and Ghost Horse, and this is, this is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio now in his 29th year of broadcasting, and Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. And you, you can hear us now on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as archives in First Voices, indigenousradio.org. Well, there's a lot to be said by <clears throat> excuse me, our next guest here, Julia Barnes, who's the director of Bright Green Lives and is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, and she's the director of Sea Life and Bright Green Lies. And Bright Green Lies, quote, unquote, is just the title of this book and the film, which is also the title, again, a book by Derek Jensen, Lear Keith, and Max Wilbert. And it investigates a change in focus of the mainstream environmental movement from its original concern with protecting to its current obsession with powering an unsustainable way of life. And the film exposes the lies and fantastical thinking beyond the notion that solar, wind, solar, wind, hydro, biomass, or green consumerism will save us from climate change. And tackling the most pressing, press, pressing issues of our time will require us to look beyond the mainstream technological solutions and ask deeper questions about what needs to change. And this film 
will premiere on Earth Day, the film Bright Green Lies. And uh, you can also go to visit and visit brightgreenlies.com to look for tickets for the online premiere. And uh, please do that it, again, April 22nd. So I'd get ahead of the line as much as you can queue up going up in the computer and uh, take a look this, at this. I, I watched this uh, yesterday, Bright Green Lies film that Julia Barnes produced and directed and edited. And there's, there's a lot in it. And some things that you take for granted that the corporations, the government is giving you the, the new green deal, so to speak. And it's a good thing, right? But this gets into the nitty gritty and, Julia, I don't know what to say. There's so much to have, uh, to think about, so many thoughts. And, and to a, a regular person like me and other people would be overwhelmed with so much information and so much that may have gone wrong with the environmental movement. And um, I don't know where to start. I just took down some notes, Julia. And um, when I look at this, you know, we, we're dealing with st- solar wind, Solar, wind, hydro, and biomass. And um, there's a line that I took. It says, are we asking the right questions when it comes to, quote, unquote, alternative energy? I'd like to welcome you to First Voices Radio, Julia. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Where do we start? Do we start with the allegiance, with the living world, or are we asking the right questions? I'd like to start with the, the myth of solar, how much that takes and uh, where, where it would take people with, it seems that people are accepting it more so, um, maybe more than any of the other alternatives as wind and hydro and biomass. But solar seems to be the hot, trendy <laughs> alternative energy to, to uh, acquire. Yeah, definitely. Solar is one of those ones that is being so much promoted as clean and green and sustainable and it's all good things and this is the messaging that we're getting pretty much universally from environmental organizations and from governments and of course the solar companies you know want us to believe that it's a good thing Um, but when you take a look at the processes that go into making these things you realize that pretty much everything that's being said about it is not true I mean first off they call it renewable but it's a technology that is an industrial product, and it's made entirely of finite materials. So it requires things like um, mining for the metals that go into it and the various things like rare earths and silica. Um, So sand mining is something that's pretty destructive. Um, There are entire islands off the coast of China that have been mined out of existence to produce this material. And um, so that's, I mean, these are highly destructive processes, and they're also processes that cannot be done without fossil fuels. So there's this idea that this is an alternative energy, but things like smelting the metals, um, you simply cannot get it to such a high heat without, uh, you couldn't power it with electricity, you have to use fossil fuels. Um, And obviously the shipping of these materials all around the world. Um, A lot of the times they're being manufactured in countries where environmental regulations are lax and also where um, forced labor labor is involved in in the production of these things. So, yeah, when you take a look behind the scenes at how these things are made, um, you realize it's really nothing like what's being advertised. So I'm thinking along the lines as just a person who is really coming into his own and finding out more about this alternative energy, as a, especially with the, the mainstream. 
Yeah, there are so-called alternative peoples that have got caught up in this environmental. The latest trendy thing is to go to those demonstrations and support the new Green Deal, the new way to accept corporations and how they've really, uh, people have drank the Kool-Aid basically and, and gone for an easier an answer rather than being resilient and resistance to the actual truth that you're telling. How was it able for you to see that there was something gone wrong? You sound very young and you look very young, but to, to me that's so encouraging because this is the truth. This is what needs to be said, you know, and I think about when you talk about the, the mining for metals and what batteries and turbines and everything else that's going on, the waterways and the dams and what happens to our toxicity and our thinking to accept so much like that? What prevented you from seeing more or less the truth? Yeah, so I got started um, when I was 16, basically making a film about the big issues that are facing the ocean. And so I spent about three years um, going around and interviewing people about the the problems that are going on right now. And I was also at the same time attending these big environmental marches where, you know, people were marching in the streets, essentially demanding subsidies for this sector of the industrial economy that calls itself green. And there always just seemed to be a disconnect between the understanding of the problems that I had, which was that, you know, these are, these are functional and they have to do with the way that we're interacting with the natural world and the systems that we have set up and the fact that we have, you know, an industrial civilization that is, just functionally unsustainable and an, an infinitely growing extractive economy. And this doesn't work with the finite planet that we live on. Um, so this idea that we could just have a techno fix and, and this being promoted and being positioned as the solution to the problem just never really made a lot of sense to me. I always thought that it was definitely insufficient um, and not really looking at the root causes of the problems that we're facing. But then the last person who I interviewed for that film was Derek Jensen. And I asked him one question about renewables, and he told me that he was working on this book called Bright Green Lives, which was totally looking at this issue. And he told me some just statistics that really blew my mind, like solar and wind is expected to be the number one cause of habitat destruction by the middle of the century. And at that point, I kind of realized that these technologies are actually worse than insufficient. They're adding this additional harmful industry that is causing more problems and on top of that kind of wasting time we don't have and misdirecting people's energies into promoting these things that aren't really going to be solutions. So at that point I thought that that was the most important thing I could make another documentary about um, to just show the reality behind these industries because yeah we, we really don't have time we can't afford to waste time on false solutions that aren't going to work. And all that while I was watching the film that you produced and directed, it, 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 there was sense there was a sense of competition, even as you say, between the hydro biomass and the wind and solar out there. These corporations, yet it's all held by the same corporation to present as if it was an alternative choice for people. And I think that kind of um, seduced people into accepting more of these renewable energy sources as I described. And when, when you ran into, when you talked with Derek, he said something about, which is rings true that humans have survived for 200,000 years without industrial electricity. 
And uh, now that the question is, will human sur- how will humans survive with industrial electricity? Coming out of that mindset like that, that's, you know, reversing the thinking that we've accepted so easily within the mainstream and even alternative people. You can go about and talk to alternative people here in the northern uh, Catskills and uh, and they accept solar energy like it's the in thing, but they're not doing their thinking beyond. And your film is dealing with the beyond. Is there a a competition within the environmental movement also? Because I can feel and see and know the difference when I go to a march and it turns into a carnival and things get uh, diversified, so to speak, and fragmented. And the next thing you know, a lot of people's uh, movements are being weakened because the corporations come in and buy the ideas of the environment. Do you see that? Yeah, there's definitely differences. And I think most people who get involved in environmentalism and want to change things, they're doing it because they care about the natural world and they want to protect it. But unfortunately, this kind of mainstream, what they call bright green environmentalism, which is the idea that technologies are the savior and you know, we just have to kind of redesign things and invest in green tech and everything will be fine. That's really come to the fore. Um, and that's happened because that's the easy answer that, you know, people want to hear, that these big green corporations want to, to sell, and that's what gets funding. So that kind of mindset has really come to dominate things. But then on the other hand, there's a lot of people who are primarily interested in protecting the natural world, what they would call like deep green environmentalists. Um, So, yeah, both sides of that really exist. But, yeah, you brought up something really interesting, which is the the idea that the the green energy companies are in competition with with the so-called, like, fossil fuel industry. And, yeah, that was just something that was really fascinating for me to learn as well while I was making the film, that there are so many crossovers between those industries. They're not really competing with each other, but, in fact, some of the fossil fuel industries are actually buying into this green tech stuff and promoting it. And, you know, the other day I saw online, there was this ad campaign in Australia by the fossil fuel companies, basically um, promoting the fact that we need additional mining to make all these things. And we need to use fossil fuels in order to make this green tech. And they were promoting it. So, yeah, there's really not a, a dichotomy there. They are kind of two sides of the same coin, and it all emerges from the same industrial system. But that's kind of the the main thing that I think is missing from this conversation when it comes to like green technology and energy. It's like it's all about solving for the wrong variable. Um it's it's always taking this way of life, this high energy, high consumption way of life as a given and trying to find a way to do that that's maybe slightly less destructive. Um when really it's it's this system that we have set up that we need to be questioning. The film Bright Green Lies that you produced is um, coming out on April 22nd, Earth Day, next Wednesday, actually. And I'm thinking about the the subject matter of solar, wind, hydro, and biomass. We talked a little bit about the solar. Can you talk about the wind um, and just seeing some fantastic sort of science fiction, but actually, in reality, these light beams all being focused in by mirrors, thousands and hundreds of mirrors, focusing in the, the sun's energy, yet it's burning off the birds, the insects that go near it. Talk about that, the wind that we are accepting so well, the turbines and, and whatnot. Sure. So wind energy, 
um, just like solar, it's made entirely of finite materials. So there's a lot of steel, copper. Um, they have huge concrete bases underground that most people don't even think about. But concrete is a large emitter of CO2 as well. And they also involve rare earth metals, um, which is a highly toxic kind of polluting process to make those. Um, and then on top of that, they're very harmful to things like birds and bats. So right now it's estimated that 100, I believe it's 100 million um, birds, or maybe it's a million birds, being killed every year in the United States by the turbines that exist already. Um, there's some estimates that uh, the hoary bat population might drop by 90% over the next, um, by 2050, I believe, because of the turbines that already exist. Um, what happens with bats is they don't even have to directly collide with a turbine. They can just be flying nearby, and the pressure differential between the blades can cause their lungs to explode, um, which is pretty horrific. And then, yeah, you look at something like Ivanpah, which is a concentrated solar power facility, um, where they basically have a bunch of mirrors pointing sunlight towards a central tower, um, heating a substance inside to produce energy. And, yeah, it's like light rays that burn any creature who flies overhead. And, of course, there's habitat destruction involved in putting this in. Um, I know some people don't think of the desert as habitat, but there are species who live there. And, you know, desert tortoises have been routinely kicked off their land because of um, solar installations that they want to put in. And the really sad thing is that these tortoises will come back and they'll actually pace along the, the fence line where these facilities were put in. They're trying to get home, um, but they can't. It's incredible that not only the wall that exists along the Mexico-U.S. border, but it also has existed before that those, those borders were put in because humans have put up fences like you described. And I've seen the horror when deer or, you know, moving nomadic animals cannot uh, overcome the barriers that humans have put up. Um, and I think about, you know, where does this all start? You, your experience working with the sea and as you have come into describe it as a sacrifice zone uh, in the name of consumption, that comes all the way back. The cycle starts hydro. And then when we talk, um, and I wanted to include something that I forgot that I said that Max Wilbert said that the birds, the impact on birds and the bats alone aren't enough reason enough to support wind energy because what happens to their lungs at the explode is called barotrauma. And um, and there's an excuse that buildings in New York City, there's concrete buildings, birds die there and everything else. But yet to think that this trauma happening to birds and bats with the, with the hydro and the, the wind um, and the solar is, is ongoing. People don't know about it because usually these technologies are set out where we don't see them and we're just like sort of the benefit, benefactors of those deaths that birds and other animals are suffering. And now we go to the deep of the sea where you started and I didn't know, I, I knew they were mining the deep sea, but now they really are looking for the electricity, basically to, to uh, power electric cars and anything that would run off the alternative electric battery here. Can you describe your work working in the deep sea that you have? Mm -hmm. This was really surprising for me because um, I had no idea when I started making this film that it would end up coming back to the ocean. 
but it turns out that um, deep sea mining is this new industry that they have planned. Um, there's been some exploratory deep sea mining already. There's already corporations set up where their aim is to do this. And yeah, they have plans to basically, you know, pump things up from the bottom of the ocean, um, process them on board these mining vessels, and then dump the remaining sediment back into the ocean. So this is a really destructive thing that is coming down the line. Um, obviously, it would be harmful to the species who are living on the deep sea whose homes would be ripped up. Um, but on top of that, the sediment that's being released back into the ocean, there's some estimates that each mining vessel would release two to six million cubic feet of sediment per day. Um, and this would toxify the food web with heavy metals, um, increase the turbidity, smother and bury organisms. Um, it could potentially disrupt the plankton who produce most of the oxygen in the air that we breathe. So, yeah, the ocean has become a sacrifice zone, and this is happening in the name of green technology. They're wanting to do this to produce the materials for things like batteries for electric cars and batteries for um, grid energy storage for things like solar and wind. So, yeah, it's pretty horrifying to see that, that that's what they have planned, and we can't let this happen. I mean... The ocean is already so much under assault by this culture, but this would just be, I mean, who knows what the implications would be. It's, it seems pretty horrifying that this could actually happen. It, it is already horrifying because we see the, you know, recently I talked to an elder from South Dakota and it's the first time in his uh, 75 years that he hasn't seen birds um, and they seem to be disappearing, he said, and hardly any birds at all for three months. And finally he saw one and, and he kind of rejoiced because at least there was one left. And I, I, I often reflect on how did it come to have this mindset that we are actually the supreme species on earth when we, when we're dealing, when we're killing other species on this planet. And, and then I come to what your subject matter of, you know, the solar wind, the higher, the solar, the wind, the hydro and the biomass and how we just kind of line up, and I'll talk about the hydro right now, but the hydro coming to the water again, when they build um, dams, I think there's something Derek Jensen said about there's 2 million dams built within the United States or maybe in North America possibly, but it would take so many years to take these dams, I think they're 16 feet and over, and when it comes to the hydro, people don't understand that by building dams, you were also contributing to to the release of methane. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so dams have been called methane bombs because they release large amounts of methane. And the reason that that happens is because the water level is constantly um, rising and falling. And when that happens, um, the plants who are living on the banks uh, become inundated and they decompose underwater anaerobically in the process. Um, basically creates a lot of methane. So sometimes dams can produce more um, CO2 equivalent per unit of energy than a coal-fired power plant. So they actually produce a lot of greenhouse gases. And yet this is another of these forms of energy that is being counted as carbon neutral, being considered carbon neutral. And you know when people talk about countries that have 100% renewable energy, often a lot of that energy is coming from hydro. So yeah, the kind of concept that we have about these these sources of energy are very much out of touch with reality. 
and that reality even goes to what we think is a good thing, biomass. Talk about the dirty secret, um, basically burning stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so biomass is actually, a, it produces about 60%, 60% of the renewable energy in the European Union comes from biomass. So this is one of the ones that's definitely being counted as renewable. Um, but yeah, what's happening is across the United States and Canada as well, forests are being clear-cut and turned into pellets and shipped across the Atlantic Ocean to be burned for this biomass energy. And yeah, it's counted as carbon neutral only through completely fraudulent accounting. They don't count the emissions that are involved in um, logging or even from burning the wood because, of course, burning the wood produces carbon. But the idea is that the trees will regrow at some point in the future, so they're counting it as carbon neutral now. So um, biomass produces more CO2 per unit of energy than coal. So it is again, a highly polluting industry. Um, and of course, in the process, they're, they're cutting down forests, so they're removing a great source of carbon sequestration and, and habitat and something that we really need and that we are lacking right now in order to do this, this form of energy that they're calling clean and green when it isn't. It's completely insane. Well, tell us, um, Julia Barnes, about CO2, because I'm the average listener out there, you know, on the street or whatever, driving by in a car, they, would they understand what you're talking about when you say the release of CO2 emissions and how much it, that's, how dangerous that is to the environment or to nature? Sure. So um, carbon dioxide, I think most people probably know about the impact that it has on the atmosphere. It's a greenhouse gas, so it causes the temperatures to rise. Um, what's a bit less known is the impact that it has on the ocean. So the ocean actually absorbs a lot of the heat, um, but it also is becoming acidified because of the carbon that's released into the atmosphere. So a lot of the carbon, about 30% of it, actually gets absorbed into the ocean. It dissolves into the seawater, and it makes the water more acidic. And the oceans are going acidic right now faster than they have in any mass extinction of the past. Um, a lot of the mass extinctions in the ocean were attributed to ocean acidification, but it's never happened as fast as it is right now. Um, and so the oceans are about 30% more acidic than they were before the Industrial Revolution. And in a more acidified ocean, animals who build um, shells or skeletons have a harder time forming. And if it becomes too acidic, they, they can't form at all. So this is already having a pretty big impact on shelled organisms, um, but it even impacts fish because they build skeletons and coral reefs are, are in a lot of trouble because of that. They're predicted to be gone by the middle of the century because of the increased acidity in the ocean. I was thinking, you know, this is all overwhelming and it sounds like, of course, it's a global problem, but individually people are overwhelmed because they think they cannot solve that problem in, in most of the, the cry that we hear is save the planet, but yet the idea is not saving the planet. It's just, you know, the benefits. What benefits are we going to get out of green energy? And that's what they're partitioning, so to speak. And when it comes to thinking about leaving it up to the government, well, there's sort of an antidote that we had coming out of Standing Rock. And out of Standing Rock was the fact that the environmentalists came and told Native people, this is how you are going to 
make this movement big and it'll get out to the world when it, in fact it was already out into the world with just the native people involved and in, in, with some ally help. But the logs showed up from out west somewhere in semi-folds, uh, truck-folds of, of logs, and they, 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 they let them loose there on the ground at the sacred ground of Standing Rock in North Dakota in 2016 and 17. And <clears throat> the environmentalists had the idea that uh, they would cut the wood up and build a giant, a giant bonfire to attract ten- attention. And so, yes, attention came 20 miles away from fire engines and people concerned because they saw this huge flame 20 miles away. And so the elders, the native elders showed up and asked them, what are you doing burning all this wood in one place at one time? And the environmentalist said, well, we need to attract attention. And, um, and, and they said, well, you certainly are, but where's the community? And because that was the intention was to bring community together. Yet the community was scattered because the flame, the bonfire was too hot. And so they, they said, you see that smaller fire over there where 20 or 30 are gathered together closer? That's our community. But your community is to solve the whole problem all at once. And you see where I'm going with this is that, as you say, it's going to take these small steps, these ways of being, you know, in touch with the ground that you stand on to actually derive, to me, to derive that power about not just solving our problem, because earth is not a problem. Earth doesn't lie. But yet again, I'm taking off on the bright green lies that have been given to people out there. And I really wanted to know, you know, what happens? What message are you bringing to the people once they watch this? Yeah, I hope that we can really change the way that we're looking at things and become more biocentric again, because it's it's so much a, a kind of human-centric thing to say, how are we going to produce all this energy? And, and it's all about benefiting us, and it's happening at the expense of the living world and all the other species who are our relatives. And, yeah, I, I hope that we can look at things from from their perspective and look at things more holistically and, and not just attempt to, like, solve for this, keeping things going, but really... Um, have an environmental movement again that is about protecting life and and prioritizing that and yeah putting the natural world first um because yeah absolutely we need to be opposing these destructive industries and the solar and wind and hydro and biomass industries are just just more of those industries that that really need to be questioned and and opposed julia barnes is there a difference i know you you are stationed there Based in Canada, is there a difference between how Canadians and how um, the United States, even Europe, look at, you know, the environment, saving it and coming up with different solutions? Or, or is it all stemming from the same corporation, so to speak? Um, it doesn't seem to be too different here in Canada. Uh, we're looking at doing something pretty much mimicking the U.S. Green New Deal type thing. There's a, a pretty... Um, like heavy emphasis on investing in green technology. Um, yeah. You know, this is, there's so much into this and I'm encouraging people to go 
and watch the film, the documentary that Julia has produced. And it's called Bright Green Lies and really deal, dealing with something that I, I didn't know in detail. And the, the, we can measure, I, I, you know, Julia, I don't understand how we can measure um, the earth, you know, and then put it into the bank and, and, and think that that's going to be um, renewable in a sense. You know, when, when it's our, we were spending breakfast outside and the sun was there and warming everything and bringing life. But I don't, I don't think that something that's dug up from the earth as, as far as coal is concerned to produce energy, to produce, uh, lighting at nighttime so we can have plants or even hemp, you know, um, any kind of plant and all of that artificial light is, is taking us into the virtual world of thought processing that Technology, the Western world will indeed solve this problem when yet it is who we are as human beings, who we will be as human beings that will, the earth will identify and take us through our own problem that we have created for ourselves. Because I don't think we're a problem for the earth is that we are a problem to the earth because we, we've kind of adapted the earth to our needs. Now it's, it's calling and your film to me says this, that it's calling for us now to adapt to the Earth's needs, Mother Earth's needs. Uh, a thought left that you would want to say that I might have missed? Um, no, that was great. Thank you. I encourage people to go out and, and look at getting tickets, actually, signing up to get tickets and go to brightgreenlives.com to, to find this great film and uh, the and it's ready. It's, it's going to be there uh, April 22nd. Line up, find it, read it, take it in, take notes. I have like four or five pages of notes on a legal pad here, Julia. And uh, I want to know more. I'm going to watch it again because it, it was too fast for me. So I'm going to watch it again. I thank you. Just an honor to talk to you or to you and, and this new documentary that, that debuts on April 22nd. Thank you so much for doing this. Bright Green Lives documentary. Thank you. It's an honor talking to you, Tiokusen. And this is First Voices Radio, and that is Julia Barnes. And Julia Barnes is a director, the the editor and the filmmaker that has come forward. And this is the voices, the voices of young people. It's that future that we are really taking away from the, the next generation to come and the generations to come. And I think about all of these um, ideas of mainstream alternatives, and it seems to me they're just coming out of the same box. And I think the young people who weren't programmed into that box by saying the government will take care of it, our modern science will take care of it, our methods of extracting and treating earth like even the diseases that come from the earth like it's the enemy. And then we'll create something to fight the enemy and defeat the enemy. In a way, that has happened with alternative energy thought process. We're going to defeat the earth so that we we can continue to beat her to give us more energy. So we'll squeeze all we can because, after all, we're going to go to Mars. We're going to go to other planets. We're going to colonize them and probably take the same technology or maybe if you say advanced, but well, it's, it's, it's not good when you think of it as a supreme intelligence. Technology has no wisdom. It may have data, but there's no soul to that data. 
there's no wisdom to that data or technology. And I go back, the tongue-in-cheek thought, the uncle said, my uncle said, tech, no logic. Because there is, if it doesn't work with the earth, it's not going to work for us as humans. Um, so that was Julia Barnes, and I really, really commend her for presenting this film, Bright Green Lies, um, that will be out April 22nd. So if you can go to brightgreenlies.com and get tickets to see this online premiere, I was privy to watch it yesterday. And like I said to Julia, I'm going to watch it again because it's needed. It needs to sink in, not just to the brain. It needs to sink in because I think it's the heart that compels us to do something correctly, if I could say that. Not just doing the right thing from the brain. And we've been away from the heart so long that we only reference the brain as if it was the end all to meet our defeat as humans. And I'll be right back here in a moment or so because... There's much to be said. I'd like to do you now a brand new song that I've just written and I'm performing this summer for the first time. I'd like to dedicate this uh, to the Wilderness Society who are out here with me this summer handing out some information. I'd like to especially dedicate it to all the innocent creatures that we in our uh, stupidity and apathy and greed are driving off the face of the earth. Let's just go to cry in the forest. There's a cry in the forest It's feathered and brown And it echoes off of nothing As the trees come down It's the sound of a sparrow Hitting the ground It's the sound of one eternity The sound of one eternity bound. There's a cry in the oceans. It's plaintive and blue, and it rises from the depths. And breaks my heart in two. It's the dreams of the great whales running aground. For they know that they're eternity bound For they know that they're eternity bound Oh, oh eternity bound Once they've passed into the timeless They can never more be found is there anybody listening? Tell me, can you hear the sound? 
of the gentle ones eternity bound of the gentle ones eternity Based economy, the renewal 
renewable, sustainable, geothermal energy, solar and wind energy. Harnessed by the power of the sun, generates electricity that brings stability to the earth environmentally. The adversity of scarcity will be about us socially when we realize that we are all one species under the sun instead of weapons of mass destruction. We unleash weapons of mass creation. You must elevate your mind to a higher state of spiritual awareness and be aware of the emerging and symbionic aspects of natural law and understand that change is consistent within all of nature caused by the forces of nature. Is proliferation of human preservation, architectural elevation. We stand in veneration of the goddess Venus crossing as we plot this air voyage. Elite fleet launch with clairvoyance, inspired by ancient artifacts. Practice the latent artifacts, oblivious to how bleak the future seems. The youth stay geeked, play meek, glued to computer screens with feudal dreams. This is groupthink versus global brain. Divine intelligence, irrelevance, and social strain. The difference between generosity and charity in a world where clarity's a rarity. They stare at me atop the pyramidae Arms out shouting namaste With the soul that's lighter than the feather of my eye Rest of the world screaming look what I got Theory is be free, leading exponent is me All is one, one is all Do it thou will, shall be the whole of the law In a sense predates the guilt created by the great fall So which do you choose, pure life or more strife The core sacrifice, but you're the one that pays the price Forget what they soon say The prophecy of doomsday was more like April Fool's Day Not the end of the world, but the end of the age Beware the wrath of the sage and do the math on the page Place that's resource based. You can't even catch a case for all basic necessities are supplied by Earth's abundance, intelligent management of her resources of advanced human civilization. Entire population received universal health care. I know it was unfair. I know it was that monetary system you couldn't bear. And they act your organs and stressed you out. You lost your hair, but have no fear. Gone all the days of the tyrants ruling square. Shorten your work day, increase the vacation time to utilize the mind. A blessing will it be when the meek inhabit the planet with no deprivation? The weather is no application fee. Just grab you a copy, you're the best that money can't buy. This is your future by design.
First Voices Radio and a point of view about environment and the indigenous peoples. And um, I'd like to to just say those those songs I played. The first one was Dan Fogelberg live way back in '91, I think it was, and the album is Greetings from the West, and he has a native, uh, I'd say, motif on the front of his album. Dan Fogelberg live, and the name of that song he cry uh, was Cry in the Forest. And uh, the, the song you just heard was Zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, the lost children of Babylon, and uh, like the, the Venus Project. That was what it is. And <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, I was talking to some friends the other day, and I just happened to run across a thought process that I read, and I looked it up again. This is the same way to think about people need to take responsibility and responsibility as peoples that came here to think that this is the mental reality for everyone the native peoples that wasn't our mental reality ours is earth was and will be the earth not the science the the psychoscience and the religion or whatever else is coming that way to rationalize that we need to think modern the modern way the civilized way to go to cities and think that's the answer that we have as humans but indigenous peoples are so different and i know that because i'm one and so Westerners are left incapable of staying put, restless, searching for a home. We are somehow never allowed to find that home because of the programming. So when I think about the plant relatives, the indigenous peoples, the earth, the birds, all of those alivenesses that are leaving because the mental reality says that we are supreme to the earth as well as other peoples. I think about that, these relatives become as a messenger to remind us of our real origin and, and to call us to become free again and to show how to make the journey not to some happy human state, but to something far vaster, the natural human, the natural human. So we need to confront ourselves and we can only learn to understand it with the, how do I say it, this, this strangest prospect of all, the death of our morality, right? To think that we can understand death, that we always try to avoid it. If the earth goes, then we go. If indigenous peoples go, the seed of all of us, then the rest of us go. And I was thinking these things as, as I was basically sitting on a dead tree stump. But I thought that that tree stump is not dead. It's alive. To us, nothing is dead. And I think we feel that, that nothing can ever truly die. But in the human sense, let's, let's give it names like the Anthropocene. Let's give it names um, to say that the expiration date by constantly relying on our own human knowledge to think that we have need to study nature that nature has figured us out already look at our bodies look at our brain has figured us out and all we have to do is relate not reconnect or connect but relate there's a big difference you think it means the same but you're a living relationship rather than trying to reconnect as if as if you could, because you are never away from, na from nature. 
And those clean thoughts, the earth doesn't lie. Earth cannot lie. But yet, look what we do to ourselves and pretending that we are superior with our science, with our ways of, of thinking that we can conquer nature. And yet, we don't see that it's gone too far. The greed has taken us too far. No matter how rational we become, thinking that mental reality is for all and we all are human. But there are very few human beings left. Yeah, so in the beginning, John Trudell says, there's a way to live with earth and a way not to live with earth. And we as indigenous peoples choose the way of earth. And uh, we have a few minutes left here and I'll be saying so long, Thank you. This is Teoks and Ghost Source, and you are listening to First Voices Radio. Thank you, Julia Barnes, for being here this afternoon.